0: to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta.
1: And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda, welcome to episode 10.
0: Can you believe it? We're in double digits, man.
1: Oh my gosh, this has been so much fun. I love doing this with you.
0: I am having the time of my life. Like it's seriously the best. And I've been, I'm glad you said this because I've been dying to tell everybody the fun that we have behind the scenes, too. Mm-hmm. Like, Jeremiah is such a great friend, just in general, but um, I'm just excited to have a chance to kind of tell you guys, like, he's really fun to work with, too. Aww, I've enjoyed every second working with you. And I tell Chris all the time, like, I feel like our communication is so good. Like, we can email each other or text, and <laughs> I don't know, like, we have mind meld, and it's a complete yeah. pleasure.
1: Because before. Oh, totally. Because before the show, we would talk, I mean, every once in a while. And whenever we'd have conversations, it would just be so fun and dynamic and just fulfilling in all those sorts of ways you want it to be. And then to have it be all the time that we're getting to talk and spend time with each other. It's just so much fun.
0: Yeah, it's great to have a reason, you know, so I'm not just harassing you every day. Like, what you doing? You know, so now I feel like I have a valid reason to call you and harass you every day, which is fantastic.
1: I'm always open for harassment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Careful. (laughs) Somebody can really take that the wrong way and you're going to be in trouble. So Um, anyway, well, yeah. So episode 10. Um, what have you been up to this week? Have you been baking?
1: Sadly, no baking because I've been preparing for my research trip to Portugal, which is so exciting, but so stressful to get all of the elements in a row and everything planned for this trip. But I'm so looking forward to getting on the ground there and, um, making this, making this research happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've been telling me about this trip for a little while now. And at first it was very much like, oh, yay, Jeremiah gets to go to Portugal. How exciting. And I'm still super excited for you. But a lot of work is going into this trip because it's more strategic than a typical vacation type of trip, right?
1: Exactly. So First, I'll be in Lisbon, and I'm going to meet with a couple Portuguese contacts that are in the food, tourism, food writing industry, and they are going to guide me and help me. And then after Lisbon, I have basically a week to travel the country, and I've rented a car, which I've never actually driven in Europe. I've only (laughs) taken trains or cabs or whatnot. So that's going to be an adventure in itself. And then I get to do, I mean, it's going to be amazing. I get to meet some of the people that make the best versions of these very, very traditional and old um, d- recipes. One of them, I'm going to get to go see, they, they make everything in the old way on open fire. Like they're cooking desserts on wood burning fire. i mean, like, that's going to be so cool.
0: That's pretty amazing. Um, Are you going to try any in your oven when you get back? Or are you going to convert it all to like kitchen oven? Are you going to do your wood burning too?
1: I think for me, I'll definitely give it a go in my oven to recreate that experience. But for my book, you know, I'll, I'll definitely convert it for people to do in their own home.
0: Thank you, because I might not have success on my fire pit. (laughs) (laughs) Out back, I'll be like, Jeremiah's recipe's not working, but it'll be my fire pit's fault. So yeah, the oven's a little more consistent. Well, I'm super excited for you, and I can't wait for you to come back. And I mean, you better be in touch with me while you're there, but I can't wait for you to get back and kind of give us a full report on what you learned and what it was like.
1: And I think everyone should look out that, Amanda and I, we're going to try to do an Instagram live while I'm over there. So we can check in see how my trip is going and I can check in with Amanda and see how things are going in Atlanta. So look out for that on Instagram.
0: No, don't find out how things are going here. It's going to be all about your trip. That's all I want to talk about. So (laughs) yeah, it'll be super fun. But yeah, keep your eyes peeled. If you see us, you know, we'll probably post it in our stories or something and say there's a live coming and, um, you can take us all on a little mini vacation
1: and never fear. All the episodes are still going to be coming out on Tuesday, even while I'm away.
0: Yeah, we've got some good stuff coming. So although maybe by the time you hear this, you've already heard some of the other good stuff, but there's more good stuff. So just, uh, whatever you do, keep listening, rate us with five stars and, uh, hit subscribe too. there's my little commercial.
1: And keep eating cake. Speaking of cake, what's going on in that kitchen of yours?
0: (laughs) Well, no surprise, I baked a cake last night and I decorated it this morning. I'm looking at it right now and it has a big old wedge missing from it because (laughs) I had a little slice of cake for breakfast. Um, So I made a chiffon cake, which our guest today is Callie Marie. You might know her from Instagram as Callie Marie Bakes. And Um, she's a pretty dynamic baking person. I feel like multifaceted, but one of the things she does is has a cake business. And so that's kind of how I discovered her as a cake person. And she has a cookbook. So I used her recipe for chiffon cake and I made it. And it's a very different cake. I mean, it's all about making kind of a French meringue basically. And then you mix your wet and dry together and then fold that into the French meringue or vice versa, however you want to do it. But, um, so the cake is almost angel food cake like,
1: right. But it
0: has a little more fat than an angel food cake would. Um, and I typically do the butter cakes. So it's a really nice shake up and something fun. So that's what I've got. And, Ooh, and I flavored the frosting with hibiscus and blood oranges Ooh. which I got the hibiscus from Ashlyn. So Ashlyn, who's on our season of Great American Baking Show, she sent me some hibiscus preserved in hibiscus syrup. Mm-hmm. And that flavor is like no other. If you're not familiar with it, like, please get familiar with it. It's so su- like sweet, but then a little bit trying to think of the right word, like bitter. It's used in all of those teas that have zinger in the name by celestial <laughs> seasonings. Like if you see zinger, it probably has hibiscus in it. And I think that's a great way to describe the flavor. Like it's a zinger. Um, yeah, really good. So that's what I've been up to.
1: I have that jar too, and I haven't opened it yet. So now I'm really excited to get in, get into it.
0: Oh, yeah, you got to get on it. And the syrup, I mean, I tasted the syrup by itself, and then I put it in the frosting also. But the syrup, I feel like, would be really good. I think she may have said as a serving suggestion to put it in iced tea or hot tea or something. And, yeah, I definitely want to do that just maybe with some black tea to flavor it up.
1: I think we should ask Southern Fatty if we should put it with some bourbon.
0: (laughs) I can already tell you his answer. It's going to be Yes. (laughs) So yeah, maybe we should tell him about it and see if he'll concoct a cocktail for us to do. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Well, I'm really excited to talk to Callie. But before we do, we have three listener questions that I really want to get to because they're excellent questions. Um, And the first one is from Twitter and it's from someone named Shelly, but her screen name is T-N-Y-F-N-20. And her question was, what is a kitchen gadget you cannot live without, and which do you think is overrated? She said she loves her silicone spatula, but doesn't need a manual citrus juicer. She just uses a fork. So what do you think, Jeremiah?
1: Well, my I can't live without a scale. I even travel with my food scale, If especially if I know there's going to be any baking, potentially. I have to have a scale around. So that... Is indispensable. A thermometer, a good digital thermometer. I always love having that around. Um, something I, I'm, I am. I do have a citrus reamer and I do love all those citrus tools, but I'm sometimes I'm so lazy and it's a bit risky, but I'll just, if I have a knife out, I'll use that to <laughs> juice my, I know that's bad. My hands Thanks. are
0: sweating. Like that stresses me out big time.
1: <laughs> what about you?
0: Uh, so I totally agree about the scale 100%. Um, I, I have traveled with my scale many times as well. Cause I just, I feel anxiety if I'm like, I may be baking, if I don't have my scale, like it's not going to go well. So, um, definitely a scale, but I have, have down, cause I kind of made a little short list, but a food processor, because, well, so when I first started baking, I did not have a food processor. And so I know what it's like to be without one. And I think when you have that experience with anything, then when you do have it, you really value it. And there were a lot of recipes that I was like, oh, maybe I can chop this fine enough or maybe I could grate it or maybe I could put it in a blender. But if you're trying to make like a, a nut flour, like you're trying to break down hazelnuts, you cannot, with a knife, chop them to the right consistency. There's just things that a food processor must do. Um, another thing kind of similar, I didn't have one for a while, was a zester, like a microplane.
1: Oh, yeah. I would vote for that for sure.
0: So useful because I also used to use the, like, the zesting side of my box grater. No. this piece of crap. Don't do it. It's such that a waste of time. Um, and then it, I also have a mesh sieve. Because I feel like if you're really trying to sift something, like I, I I use that for so much. I push custards through it to get any like yeah. cooked egg bits. I use it for, of course, like sifting dry things. It's just, I, I find I use it a lot. So those yeah. are my things. Um, things I don't need, anything single use. <laughs> like the to me, and you're a honey guy, so you might be like, what are you crazy? But the honey drizzlers... I, I have spoons for that, right? <laughs> i I see these honey drizzlers. you know those things with the stick and then it has the multi layers yeah. do you the disagree few, yeah. do you disagree since you're a honey person? No,
1: I actually agree with you, and when you come to my house, I do have quite a few because they're they've all been gifts. And I appreciate them and I use them. So I've got I've beautiful um, honey jars that come with that. And I will totally use that for my honey. But if no one had given them to us, I would use a spoon right out of the mason jar.
0: <laughs> it totally works. Yeah. And, it, and that brings up an interesting thing. Sometimes there are things we have in our kitchen that are maybe nostalgic and, you know, yeah. not completely, you may not travel with your honey drizzler because you can survive without it, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's not an object of value. So, um, yeah. And then I did a quick Google search about like useless kitchen tools and I discovered things I didn't even know existed, like a banana slicer. What? Yeah. So anything like that, pushaw, like, please, I do not need a banana slicer again. Like I have a knife. I have a knife. Yeah. So
1: Yeah, I was I was given a pomegranate de and it's this sort of plastic circular thing and you set the thing the pomegranate in it and I think then you whack it. <laughs> that went straight into the recycling bin so quickly.
0: It's really peculiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing like that. Please, if you're listening, do not ever give me a pomegranate de seeder, de arroller. those called arrows? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> um, okay, moving along, uh, so from Twitter, hello, I'm Juliana is her screen name, and she says I'd love tips on preventing a soggy bottom. I made a lemon meringue pie, blind baked the crust, and it still got soggy. So do you have any tips for Juliana?
1: Yes, I have three ways to prevent this. number one, when the crust comes out of the oven brush some beaten egg whites. I mean, you're just beating it to loosen it up. Brush that on the hot crust, and then you can put it back in just for a minute or so, and that will seal your crust. Um, Way number two, which is my favorite, but it requires that you have raw cocoa butter on hand. So I buy it in in the natural food store and it comes in big blocks or chunks, and I, with my microplane, I grate that right on the hot crust, and it will melt and also create a barrier of um, cocoa butter, which will harden once it cools. And then the third way is if if you're into the flavor, is to paint your crust with melted chocolate, oh, and it yeah, will harden. And there's no way your crust will be soggy, but you have to be okay.
0: Well, I love all those ways and I've never tried the egg white or the coconut oil way and just hearing it, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. So um, so I really want to try those. For me, most of the time, like with a lemon meringue type pie, I will fully bake the crust and I will make a curd that I know Mm -hmm. will thicken up and tighten up enough once it's chilled that it's sliceable. So I don't even bake the curd part, just... For me, that's easier. So then when the crust is fully cooled, and that's one of the things, I feel like when the crust is really warm and you put a liquid into it, it almost like, it's so active that it almost acts like a sponge and draws things into it. So if you cool the crust, that's one thing that can help. So yeah, I mean, I think if it's fully baked before, then that works really well. Um, to prevent any sogginess, and then if your curds already cooked, it's not as liquid as the pourable meringue pie, so that works really well for me. And just the process, I like to control the components a little more, and so I know, yeah. like, okay, the curd is good, the crust is good, together it's going to be great. So um, yeah, so there are some tips with that, and then our last question is from Instagram. It's L. Hilton four two eight. Uh, and she says, what cookbooks do you recommend for beginning bakers um, that want to practice new recipes and learn the science behind different bakes? I feel like this is such a Jeremiah question because you <sighs> are a cookbook collecting person, right?
1: Yeah. Slash hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> so this is. What I'm going to recommend wasn't what I started with, and I wish I had. And those are Rose Levy Berenbaum's Bibles. So she has a cake Bible, a pie and pastry Bible, a baking Bible, and then she has Rose's Heavenly Cakes. So when you open the, like, for instance, the cake Bible, which has been out, I think, since the 80s, and it's a total classic. It's intimidating because there are no pictures. Well, there's there are some pictures, but it's not like a modern cookbook, what you'd expect. It's very, there are a lot of tables and there's a lot of writing and a lot of information. And here's the thing, and I truly believe this. If you take the time to read and practice a recipe that has a lot of um, information and is very precise, while it might seem like you're doing a lot of work, you're going to do it correctly and your result is going to be successful versus a recipe that maybe doesn't have as many things included, maybe that's not done by weight. And so your chances of success might be less. So I feel like it's a great, she, at the end of these recipes, she tells you how this recipe compares to the last one and how many grams of flour she used per egg yolk and why. And, and so you get a window into the science and you don't have to understand it all, but you just kind of start to get a feel for like what this cake should be like and how it's different from maybe the previous cake you cake you, um, baked. And she gives you also suggestions for what to pair it with. So there's a bit of creativity you can have as well. So I recommend starting there with any of her Bible books. And then a newer book that I find is very helpful in the same vein is uh, Stella Park's Brave Tart. Um, She does very much the same thing where she does a lot of tests and a lot of science goes into her research and she tells you why she's, she's doing what she's doing. And I have to say those recipes work really well. And a lot of them have become sort of my standard building block recipes. Um, But those, those are my favorites. What are your favorites?
0: Um, so because I'm not a cookbook hoarder,
1: <laughs>
0: um, and I tend to avoid buying things that I, I you know, may use a couple of times, um, I go to the internet. So I know she's asking about cookbooks specifically. And so I feel like your answer is great for somebody who wants that book to hold in their hands. Um, I'm not that person. My laptop's often on the kitchen counter and that's kind of Mm -hmm. my very big cookbook. And a couple resources that I love is um, one time the kitchen did something they called cooking school. And so they kind of did a little series where it was like, it's egg week, it's cake week, it's this, it's that. And they really went into the science of what do eggs do in recipes and I felt like that was really helpful for me. Then going forward, if a recipe didn't work, I was like, oh, I know that eggs, you know, help add structure, the protein. This had a lot of egg whites. And so I would kind of know where I should look if it was a structure problem or if there wasn't enough lift in something. I would know, okay, maybe I should look at the baking powder, that kind of thing. So
2: right. I
0: found that to be really helpful. And then just in general, whenever I go to, bake something, if I'm not thoroughly familiar, I'll just Google like, what are the building blocks of a cookie? You know, something like that. And it'll list off, there's a lot of great websites that then pop up and they'll list off like, you know, in a butter cookie, this is what the butter does. And it kind of goes through that way. So Mm -hmm. I use the internet as my go to cookbook. So I feel like that's the only fair answer coming from me.
1: I have one more thought. And it reminds me of uh, the interview we did with Zoe Francois. And she said to trust recipes that were written by a teacher, especially when you're a beginner. So if your cookbook author teaches classes, you know that that book is going to be good. Avoid books written by chefs until you're more advanced and more comfortable with just basic technique. Because a lot of times chef will leave out key steps or um, techniques, and you need to know how to fill in the blanks. So buy them for inspiration and when you're more advanced. But definitely, I think that's a great, great tip. Yeah,
0: I love that tip. You're bound to have more success if that's someone's passion and that's where they're coming from. So perfection. I love that. Um, Well, should we... Get on with Callie. Should we go get her?
1: Yeah, I can't wait to meet her. Okay,
0: so Callie, I like I said before, I kind of Instagram met her. It's Callie Marie Bakes on Instagram, and then she randomly reached out to me when she was in Atlanta one time and said, "Hey, do you want to have coffee?" And then from then on, I've tried to meet people from Instagram because she really inspired me. It was such a fun thing. So, um, so then I got to meet her, and we just had this really great conversation about life and baking and I became even more of a fan of hers she's super accomplished she's written a cookbook she runs Mm -hmm. the food program at brew in five points in um let's see in Jacksonville and she also runs her own cake business uh like what a dynamic baking person so anyway let's get Callie and pick her brain about all things baking
1: Callie, welcome to Flower Hour. How are you?
2: Hi, I am good. I'm pretty sleepy, but I'm good. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: We're going to wake you up. We're so excited to have you. Welcome, Callie.
1: <laughs> well, take us back to the beginning. How did you get started with baking?
2: Oh, man. Um, I think that professionally, is that's probably not the story that you want to hear. It's not that fun. But um, I actually, like, for my seventh grade science project, had to make, like, a cell. I feel like everyone had to do that, like a plant cell and an animal cell. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom, like, suggested that we should just make it a cake, like a plant cell cake and an animal cell cake. And she made me do it all by myself. Um, And it was awesome. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it was... it probably just looked like a blob. I can't even remember what it looked like. There was a lot of candy involved, um, but I had like the greatest time. And uh, after that, I was like, "Oh, I think I want to like make more things." So we, my mom, bought me this um, book. I can't even remember what it's called. That had like a bunch of different like cupcakes and cakes that were decorated similarly, like with candy and weird frostings, like the gel thing you get in a tube. It's like all sparkly (laughs) stuff that I wouldn't, I wouldn't use now, but um, we just like, we basically baked every single recipe in that book (laughs) and I would bring them to school. There was like one that, there were like cupcakes that looked like sushi Um, and just stuff like that. And it was really fun. And, and so I did that through like middle school and high school. And then uh, I went to culinary school and then. I worked I didn't even go to culinary school for baking I went to be like a chef and then I worked on a line and hated it and was like never doing that again and then I worked (laughs) at a bakery and loved it I was like oh okay so I guess this is what I'm doing now (laughs) so that's the long story short
1: first of all I love your mom that is the coolest idea for a school project it was awesome (laughs) and the other thing I was reading in your book how when you were a kid you'd come home after school and watch Nickelodeon and I so related to that oh my especially God. when you said the channels all changed yes they were- <laughs> was I was
2: like, yeah so channel 19 was Nickelodeon like pretty much my whole life and then I came home one day and 19 was the food network and I was like what is this Like I was so upset and I didn't even try to like find Nickelodeon (laughs) because Giada De Laurentiis was on. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, she's pretty. And then I was (laughs) like, what is this? And I was just so like sucked in at that point on. Um, And, (laughs) and my mom let me um, make one of her like recipes that night. I got so excited. I was just like, this new channel this is amazing and my mom had never even watched Food network either <clears throat> but it was um like chicken and papio, so basically just like chicken breast some uh like carrots and lemon and potatoes like wrapped up in parchment paper and baked in the oven um but yeah I loved <laughs> I fell in love with food network and then I fell in love with cookie
1: I can so relate to that that Food Network was always on in my in my house, and especially through college. It was like comforting just to watch Food Network while being stressed out in school.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you guys. I would sit with my notepad and watch Good Eats and like take oh notes. I pretended it was my school.
2: <laughs> I'm like,
0: I <I'm> took it very seriously. <laughs> like I went from being a kid to like trying to be an adult very fast. And I was just like, okay. I'm in school. I'm going to take notes. This is not entertainment. Like my family would talk, and I'm like, you guys, like, I'm <laughs> getting my education right now. So <laughs> I love that. Um, definitely played a big role. But um, so, one thing I was curious about it sounds like you had a very fun start to baking, and then you mentioned going to culinary school. How did you decide, and like when did you decide that baking was going to be, or cooking either, was going to be a career versus just everybody does it, but not everybody takes it to that level?
2: I um I was I had to go to college really early. Um, I was a nerd, and so I got in- accepted to this program, which I like got my associates when I was eighteen. And then I had to pick my major like immediately after that. Like I didn't have enough time to kind of figure out what job I wanted. I just had to like know and immediately go to school for it. Um, and I was like, well, I really like cooking. Um, but I knew that my parents wouldn't let me like take a, what, a, like, a diploma class. Like I knew I had to get an actual accredited degree in order for them to agree with me. Um so it, I found the college that I ended up going to had an accredited bachelor's program for business management. And um, I like convinced my par- convinced my parents, I like gave them this whole presentation um, and they agreed to let me do it. So that's when I did that. And then I, <coughs> excuse me, I the first like semester of culinary school, I was kind of just like, what am I doing? Like, this is weird. Like, are like, are we all just going to be line cooks? Like, this is a lot of money. I had a lot of anxiety about it. Um, but then I ended up joining competition team, which sounds really lame now, like five years later, but, um, and I got to meet like chefs in my city. And that's when I was like, Oh, I think I really want to do this. Like, I want to be like these people. I want to be friends with these people. I want to like have my life be like these people's lives are. Um, And it wasn't until I started doing like competitions and extracurricular activities outside of culinary school that I was like, oh, there is like an actual job, an actual like career in this. It's not just like I'm going to be, you know, like a line cook at some Chain restaurant,
0: like there are other things that I can do. I want to know more about these competitions. I'm not because I'm not familiar <laughs> with them. I'm like, what are the like, uh, what are the competitions? Is it like make everybody make cinnamon rolls and who makes the best? Or no, no.
2: So, oh man, the ACF has like programs for students, um, and I'm probably like butchering half of it because I mean I was this was such a long time ago, um, but basically you <laughs> the f- like the first the first ones that we did was a four team like a four person team and what you had to do was um you had to uh completely like butcher and debone a chicken um you had to make pastry cream <laughs> you had to segment an orange um you had to uh I think make a tart crust. I like can only remember some of it. Um, But basically you had to do all these things, like these things that showed knife skills um, and like obviously being able to make up custard and stuff um, in a certain amount of time and like clean and as a team. And then you would get like judged on that. And then after that was you had to make like, using those things, basically, you had to make this, like, three-course meal. So there are two-course meals, so the entree and a dessert. So it was, like, this really old-school, like, poached chicken with butter and, like, glazed carrots. And it was, like, the ugliest piece of chicken because you had, like, taken all the skin off. And, like, it was funny. but um, <laughs> But you had to do that, and then you would get judged on that. Um, and then after we did those, it, there was like some more fun ones where you got to like have a mystery ingredient, like kind of like chopped but not as fun. Um, but we had like German master chefs that would just like rip you a new one. Um, and I was like nineteen and <laughs> it was it was really embarrassing. but I did that for a while. Um, I did that all through culinary school it was it was pretty fun, actually.
0: I think it sounds like a great experience and like that intensity is probably a good like testing ground to see, no, you don't get judged in exactly the same way in a real kitchen, but I can imagine that that's like really good practice. And I feel like your your demeanor from meeting you is probably like you're naturally able to handle that kind of intensity, don't you think?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think that like <laughs> having... Having these, like, old German guys yell at me when I was a kid <laughs> about, like, <laughs> strawberry sauce smeared on a plate, um, uh, like, really got me ready for the real world of
0: cheffery. <laughs> I love the <this> storm cheffery. <laughs>
1: I feel like basically you were training to be on Top Chef.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, you know, who knows? I still I got a lot of time.
1: <laughs> that's true
0: now we're jumping ahead to like our final question of what's <laughs> next for Callie is uh you'll be looking for her on top chef so <laughs> oh, I'm not cool I'm not cool enough
1: <laughs> so can you talk talk to us about what it's like to develop um a food program for a coffee shop
2: oh man this has probably been like the funnest time of my life um I feel like coffee shops have such a—they hold like a special place in people's hearts. Like I say this all the time, but they're people's like third place. Like people go home and they go to work, and then they they like have their coffee shop. Um, I feel like this day and age they do at least, um, thankfully for me. Um, and I, the idea of just someone starting their day off with like some something that we made like a like. A, a klotchy and a coffee, and that be like the beginning of their day, just makes me so happy. Um, and sorry, excuse me. Um, it's fun because I get to everyone that comes in, they're like, they're all my friends, and we see these people every day, and you get to know them. And it's like getting to cook for my friends with my friends is honestly the best thing that could ever happen to me. Um, And when it comes to, like, a coffee shop, you really get to do, like, whatever you want in the realm of breakfast. And breakfast, besides, you know, like, baked goods, is the best, like, category of food. So Um, (laughs) breakfast is my favorite. Um, And we... The creative freedom that we have here is overwhelming at times, but also just really fun. Um, I just... Being able to, like make a bunch of weird toasts or like make a bunch of tacos and i don't know we get to change it every day like it's not it's not like something that we have to like because we're a coffee shop we get to have a lot of like what sort I'm looking for it's just very fluid it's like all right we have all this kale today so let's do something with it like we get to do weird and fun things we're not So, can like restricted, like a restaurant that we have to like have the same exact thing every single day, or people get upset. Like, I think people with coffee shops expect a little bit more diversity and fun. And so, I don't know, it's just like. I love breakfast, man.
0: (laughs) I love hearing you talk about it because I do kind of like I was saying when I watched the show, I was taking notes. And just in general, I tend to be kind of a regimented person. But hearing you talk about um, the food program there, it sounds like such a playground and such a playful and fun place. And I really I love that like energy. I just think it sounds like an appealing place to be. Um, the other thing you mentioned that I like cannot skip over is the kolache. So when, when I met with you here in Atlanta, you told me about them and then I kind of forgot about them. And then just a couple weeks ago, I got to have one when I was on a trip in Utah and it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Can you just for our listeners, because before I met you, I was like, You mentioned it. I'm like, what the heck is that? Can you describe it for our listeners? Because I feel like the world needs to know about this. And for Jeremiah, Jeremiah wants to know.
2: (laughs) Well, first of all, I am mad that you did not send me a photo of your first kolache. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm a little. I'm sure I have one in my phone
0: somewhere. I can
2: text (laughs) it to (laughs) you. Um, but oh, kolaches are so fun. Um. And that's another thing where we get a lot of creative freedom with. Um, but basically, it's just a sweet yeast roll filled with whatever you feel like filling it with. Um, traditionally, they're from like the Czech. I mean, in Texas, we have a place called Check Stop, which is just like this. Like it's you've got like twenty-four different kinds of kolaches, and they're not they're not from Texas, but like the version that we eat is from Texas and there's like all this, I think New York times did an article on it. Um, but just that like people that are originally made the kolache are like, you're stuffing it with sausage. What is that? Like traditionally it's like a wedding pastry filled with poppy seeds. Um, but you know, us Texans really take things to the next level. <laughs> um, so traditionally for a Texan style kolache, it's like smoked sausage, Um, and cheese or, and jalapenos, like that's a pretty common one. You eat it with mustard. Um, you get them at a gas station. They're literally everywhere. Um, and that's what my, what should I even call him? Sorry. I'm trying to figure out what to call Jack. Um, that's what Jack and I grew up on. He's, uh, one of the owners here at brew. Um, but he's from Houston. So he grew up on kolaches. My family's from Dallas. I had them all the time. I still have them all the time. Um, and they're just like a staple of our childhood and they both mean a lot to us and you can't get them anywhere in Florida. Um, and so when we started brew, it was like, man, I want, can we do kolaches? (laughs) And it was kind of like, it was kind of weird for us it's like oh wait we're not like should we we're not in texas like is this sacrilegious like is some texan gonna like come hurt us <laughs> um but like i don't know if there's like Kawachi police um so we, we were like whatever let's do it and so we started doing it but i traditionally they were more of like a rectangle shape like you bake them on a sheet tray you like cover them in butter um and, So they end up taking on the shape of kind of like a hot dog, like basically a large pig in a blanket. But I like really don't like the way those look. Um, And I wanted to make something that like was a little bit more unique for brew. So ours are round and they just look like little buns.
0: Um, How how big are they? Are they like dinner roll size or cause I just want to match
2: size. They're like the size of the palm of your hand. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so a bigger than dinner, bigger than dinner rolls, um, probably like a soft ball. <laughs> they're pretty big. Um, and then what's great about the fact that they look like a, they kind of look like a hamburger bun, but is that we slice them in half and put an egg and cheese on them. Um, so they're really easy for breakfast. They're super yummy. You can fill them with whatever you want. Um, yeah kolaches are great. Everyone should eat more
0: kolaches kolaches for president.
2: <laughs>
1: <vote for>
2: <laughs>
0: um one thing that I definitely wanted to talk to you about was your cookbook, part just selfishly because I love it, and then also I just kind of wanted you to give like everybody kind of um a peek into how wonderful it is. Um, But before you do, sometimes I feel like the best way for somebody to share their stuff is have somebody who loves it talk about it. And I just like, I want to tell everybody it's a really cool cookbook because it's organized by season, which I really love. So uh, like for me, because it's still a new cookbook in my collection, I've been just kind of slowly poking my way through it. And sometimes I break the rules, Callie, don't get mad and I'll make something that's not seasonal, Mm -hmm. but especially if I'm looking for something to suit the mood and then Also, just as somebody who has a cake business, sometimes if I'm searching for flavors, it's nice to kind of go, well, what does Cali see as a fall flavor and get some inspiration there? So it's really useful in that way. And then I love at the end, there's kind of a ton of base recipes. So like things that you can flavor on your own, like a base muffin recipe, base scone recipe, base cake recipe, which I adore because I feel like it encourages creativity with people instead of just being like, this is the one way to make it, which you've given us some good ways, but then you go, but put your own spin on it. And I just think it's a really cool cookbook. So there's my little commercial. She didn't (laughs) didn't tell me to do that, but I just love it. And I wanted to make sure people knew why I love it. Um, But I want to know from your end what it was like writing it um, and like how, this is also a very selfish question, but... I want to know how did you know it was the right time to write a cookbook?
2: Oh man. Um, so writing it and the reason I the reason I did it by season is because we're a coffee shop. Um it's basically everything we make at brew. Um and we we have to think about seasons. So people want like a peppermint latte or whatever come Christmas time. Like that's what everyone wants. Um, and you know, during the spring, like what goes good with iced coffee, like not everything, people change what they get based on the season as a drink. And so what can we make that goes with that drink, um, for them to give them the best like brew experience. Um, and so that's why I did it by season was because we have to think seasonally here at brew. Um, and then the base stuff, like my feelings about oh my gosh and i hear this all the time and you probably hear this all the time too and maybe you guys think this way but every time i talk about like what i do or people like find out i'm bake a baker they're like oh my gosh i like can't bake it's so scientific everything has to be exact and i'm just like yeah no no (laughs) Um it's really not that hard. Like I feel like people have been lied to that it is hard and it is not. I think um and so I I'll have people who can like make a blueberry muffin, but they were like a chocolate chip muffin? No, never. I can't do that. It's like just replace the blueberries with chocolate chips, dog. Not that hard. <laughs> but I feel like people have been it's so like ingrained in people that like baking is such a precise thing that if you change one thing it won't work out. Um And maybe sometimes it won't, but I feel like that's the fun part about baking. I also think that people see, like, this beautiful photo in a magazine of this, like, you know, chocolate cake, and then they try to make it at home, and it's not as pretty, and they get really discouraged. And it's like, well, I mean, it's not supposed to look like that. It's whatever you want it to look like. And so that's the reason I really wanted to just put some stuff out there that we do, because people are so in awe by it, but it's very easy. Um, and I wanted to make it a little bit easier for people that are just like i can't bake i can't do it not for me <laughs> too scientific um because really it's you should see me i which i really should not say but whatever i like hardly measure anything <laughs> i'm very um i mean i've been doing it a while and i've do a lot of the same recipes, but you just get to a point where it's like you understand the process and it's not as scary anymore. Um, And that's like really what I wanted to like empower people with. Um, And I knew, I, you know, I don't know if I ever knew it was the right time. (laughs) What's so funny about the way that I wrote bakes was I mean, I've been baking all this stuff for brew. It was already written down. I had it in a big binder. It was basically a very messy, covered-in-flour cookbook anyways. Um, and one day, I I was lucky enough to um, be in another cookbook called The Chef's Canvas, which was a really great cookbook that we did here with the Kummer Museum, which is um, – they paired a chef with one of the pieces in their permanent collection, and we got to make um, whatever we wanted based on that piece. Wow! And it's a gorgeous cookbook. Yeah, it it won a few awards. It was it's beautiful. Um, and so they like basically took a picture of like whatever the pieces, and then took a picture of your thing, and then it had the recipe, and then there was a big dinner. Um, it was so much fun. Um, and after I did that, I was like. I think I kind of ran a, I want to write a book. Like all my friends were in that. And then my, my um, great friend, Carrie Sanchez Potter helped write it. Um, She was the project manager on it. And I got to hear about the process all the time. And one day we were at brew. um, And I was like, you know, Carrie, I think I want to write a cookbook. Just like I was very, it was not serious. It was in passing. um, And the next day she sends me a timeline. (laughs) (laughs) and an outline of everything that I would have to do in order to write a cookbook. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay, I can do that. And
0: then we did it. (laughs) That's awesome. You're like, Oh, I have this idea. And she's like, okay, get to work. Here's your, here's your schedule.
2: Yeah. She, she's like that. She rules. Um, but yeah, it was like, I I was like, I kind of want to do it. I want to do it by my birthday. Um, I set goals for myself every birthday, which is probably super choosy, but, um, that's what I like to do. So I write down some things i like to do. And that was one of the things that like popped up in my mind for that year. And she really made it happen for me, um, along with everyone else here at brew. But yeah, it was so funny. She just sent me a timeline and I was like, this is, this is feasible. I can do this. And then we did it in nine months.
0: That's amazing. What? That's
2: very, yeah. amazing.
0: <laughs> very amazing.
1: Thank you. And you self published, right?
2: Yeah, We did a Kickstarter, uh, we we raised almost thirty thousand dollars. Like we reached our goal and then some. Um we like none I didn't have to pay for anything out of pocket for it. Um it's like completely crowdfunded. Um and I was a part of every process. Like my every, we did everything local, so um, the designer was local. The photographer was local. We shot everything in the front room at brew or in my backyard. Um, we, you know, got it printed here. I was at the print press every day of printing. Um, it was all done in Jacksonville. And I, I, really wanted to like do something that showed that like, I don't, know, I feel like sometimes Jacksonville gets a bad rep, but it's like, Oh, we're not like New York or we're not like LA or Miami. And it's like, no, we're not. But like, I feel like there we have like a lot of resources in which we could use if people just use them um to create really great products that can be known um like nationwide. I just feel like a lot of people see Jacksonville as like a small town that doesn't really have anything going on um and I just wanted to also show that that's not true. So That's another reason why I I think
0: that's such an interesting idea. Like we talk a lot about shopping local and like local produce and just in general, supporting our local economies. And I never, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's like I never even considered having a cookbook completely made in your town as well. Like the actual cookbook is local, not just the ingredients or something, but the, the cookbook itself is local. I think that's a really cool concept. My wheels are turning now. I'm like, oh my gosh, what a great idea. So um I absolutely love that. So fast forward a little bit to once the cookbook was all together, I remember seeing on your Instagram there was like a day that somehow Alton Brown came in and like oh I want to hear about that. Like I just want to have like a fan <laughs> moment and hear about that time.
2: Oh my god! I mean, you better
1: uh, be taking notes, Amanda.
2: <laughs> I mean, doesn't he live like an area? Yeah,
0: and okay, I have to put this in here because it's just so bizarre and weird, and it, it's not baking related. We used to have a BMW 2002. It's a, like a vintage type BMW, and uh-huh. we sold it. Um, well, we put it somewhere to be sold and they sold it and we didn't know who they sold it to until one day my husband saw in car and driver magazine, Alton Brown bought our car. So somewhere in Atlanta, he's like cruising around (laughs) with our car. So maybe he like rolled up to your coffee shop in my car. I don't know. So
2: it's like weird,
0: right? But anyway, yeah, he does live around here. That's amazing. That's much cooler no, than my story.
2: No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Alton Brown. Man, I love him. I mean, as, you, as we already talked about, like, Food Network was a huge part of me growing up. And, oh, my gosh, my, me and my parents, we would – if Good Eats was on, we were all in the living room watching Good Eats. No one was talking. Like, we loved Good Eats. Um, and when he came – he's come here twice. He came to Jacksonville to do, like, two shows. Um, they were, like, a year apart. And the first year, he went to, um, he went to like a different coffee shop and a different place for lunch and whatever. And I was like kind of sad. Um, And it was funny because he actually there was a record store in our neighborhood in Five Points, and he walked to the record store, but walked right by Brew. To go to the record store, and I was like, "Was that brown?" <laughs> like, what? I was so like shocked. Um, and of course, I did. We didn't like say anything or do anything. But our neighborhood is like really well known for being the like more hip part of town. There's a lot of shops. There's a lot of restaurants. And I guess the last time he was here, he like noticed Brew. So the next time he came, he got coffee at Brew. And um, I was here, and I was sitting in the back. <clears throat> doing something i don't even remember what i was doing and one of the baristas comes in and this is like a barista who like he i don't think he realized how much alton brown coming to brew would mean to me so he just comes back there very calm and he's just like oh hey uh, alton brown just said i served him the best macchiato he's had and i was like who (laughs) who said what who did what (laughs) what what i said i was like i'm sorry who and he was like "Alvin brown's here and i was like what what why didn't you why didn't you come and get me before like what are you doing um and then so i like get up and i was like oh my god it is Alvin brown oh my god um and i was like uh i want to give him a cookbook i think i'm gonna give him a cookbook and then so i just like run in the back I like grab a cookbook really quickly i scribble in it (laughs) what I remember what did I put I put like you're an inspiration <laughs> which I'm very embarrassed about um and then you know like sign my name and then I like walked up to the front and I was like hey I said we don't have to talk or anything I just wanted to give you this." <laughs> and he was like <laughs> and he was like Oh my gosh! I was just looking at that, and it made me laugh because I said it like calamari. Oh. <laughs> like said your
0: name, Ka- <laughs> Cali Marie. He <who> says calamari, <laughs>
2: and I was like, "Yeah, I, I get That's that." That's really oh, uh. funny. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "He was like, you just want me to have this?" And I was like, "Yes, yeah, take it. You can have it." Um, and he was like, well, I can mean, I can pay for it?" I was like, "No, nope, it's good. You can have it." <laughs> um, and Then he, like, sat down and, like, finished his coffee and left. Um, And then it was funny because I didn't, like, take a photo. I was very, like, there needs to be no conversation. Please just take this from me so I can, like, go hide in the back. Um, So I didn't, like, ask for a photo. I didn't ask for, like, anything. He left. um, And the person, um, Austin Ellis, who designed my cookbook, was actually having – brunch at a restaurant right down the street but he was sitting outside um and he he said he saw Alton Brown like walking noticed it was him and then double like had to do a double take because he noticed he was carrying my cookbook and so he asked for a photo um and was like oh I designed the cookbook can I take a photo of you um took a photo of him and then like they went on their way but Um, that's how I got the picture of him holding it was because someone I knew was like at a restaurant down the street, but that's my Alden Brown story. I'm yeah, he's great. It was, um, the even better part of that story is he went to go have lunch at my friend's restaurant and, um, my friend John Ancetta, he owns black sheep. Um, he called me, he called me and he was like, he was like, Alden Brown's here. I'm sitting at the bar just watching. (laughs) He was like, I'm not working. I'm just sitting at the bar (laughs) watching him. and I don't know what to say. I don't even think he said anything to him, (laughs) but um, we were all, it's, I don't know. Like, I feel like some people on food network or, or some like chef personalities, it's like, Oh cool. If you meet them, whatever. But Alton Brown is like the chef's guy.
0: Like, I feel like all chefs love Alton Brown. I just feel like he's, he's such a he teacher so cool. and I really admire that, like that kind of in general, like the kind of bakers that we want to have on the podcast, I always say to Jeremiah, like, that's a baker's baker, you know, so Oh yeah, <laughs> supports that love. And I feel like he's like a chef's chef, exactly what you're saying, where he, like, he almost wants to pull the curtain back. I get that vibe where it's like, he doesn't want to have all these secrets and be like, look at how amazing I am. He wants to be like, here's all these secrets. You can do it too. And yeah, I mean, it only makes us love him more for sure. Um, That's an awesome story. Like, I love it. I think it's really cool. You got the picture in the end too, and you didn't even have to ask for it. I think that's so special. Um, Obviously, we have cake business in common, and I I definitely want to talk to you some about that too. And I was curious, we kind of talked about it some when we talked, but I think it's a very interesting thing. Like how do you balance your day because you have obligations at brew and then you have obligations with your cake business. Just kind of quickly, like what does a normal day look like for you?
2: Oh, so man, (laughs) it's funny. I, luckily I'm like at a place in my life where, um, I don't have, like, I don't have kids, I'm not married, so I have a lot of more free time, um, and I, like, come to brew every morning, get coffee, start my day, um, and then I, like, leave, I go home, I, like, do house stuff, clean, cook, whatever, and then I come back to brew at around, like, three or four, and then I bake for brew, um, and do whatever other brew stuff I need to do. Um, and then I will probably be done in like four hours. It doesn't take a long time to bake for brew. Um, and then I do cake stuff after that. Um, so I do that every day. I don't like take a day off. Like seven days a week. Um, You don't
0: have, Oh my gosh. mm -hmm. Okay. Mm
2: hmm. Um, I mean, there are times where I'm like, oh, I'd kind of want this evening off. So I'll like work extra the night before so that I don't have to go in the next night. Like, it's something that I have to like plan on. It's not like, oh, I'll just take the night off. (laughs) Um, I have to really plan to do it. Um, And that's kind of what it looks like right now, which is fine. Like, it's not – I don't have a cake every day because it's January. It's kind of a slow season for cakes. Like, I have – one wedding every weekend. And that's, that's calm. Um, it's, you know, in November and December, it's crazy. It's like, that's the time in which I'm like, I could really use (laughs) some help. (laughs) Um, but, but the rest of the year, it's, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, it's easy to, work in like having the frosting like making the frosting while I'm doing stuff for brew it's easy to like combine the two you know because there's a lot of time where you're just waiting on something to be done in the oven Um, so it's just about like juggling it and fitting it in but for now I'm here every day
0: (laughs) that's what my day looks (laughs) like (laughs) it sounds like a lot um, but I do think it's really good that you kind of have two separate businesses but they're somewhat compatible like you're not you know, writing code and running a baking business kind of thing. Like at least there can be some overlap, but I think it's good to hear too, because it's easy to look and go, Oh, wow. Callie has this glamorous life of baking. You know, she runs this food program and she's there at the coffee shop and she has a cake business. And it's easy just to say like how, how great that is, but it comes with a lot of hustle, like a lot, a lot of work. So I think it's good to hear that part of it too. Um, Cause I'm sure there's a lot of days with your hair up and no makeup and you're just mixing like a wild woman seven days a week, you know? <laughs> every day.
2: <laughs> every day. I, I gave up on makeup and hair <laughs> a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it only gets crazy. Like I said, during wedding season, but being here every day, I'm, I bake every day. It's not like, I don't know. It's, it seems weird talking about it, but it's, I also don't know what I would do if I didn't bake every day. I don't, I love baking. It's easy. It's fun. Like the cakes, it's funny because the cakes just started off as like something fun to do. And now it's a whole other full-time job, but it's still like the fun part of my job. Brew is, brew is also fun, but brew is like, we make the pastries. We have them out by this time. We do this and that, and that's what we do. And then I get to turn that off when I'm done. I get to, to like switch gears to like make some weird cake. And so the cake part is actually like my hobby <laughs> that I happen to just get paid from that. I And I think the only reason that it's sustainable is because I get to do both at the same place and everything is like seamless together. Um, if I had to like go to a different kitchen and like have a different, I don't know. I don't think I'd be able to do that. But the fact that, like, I get to do everything here at Brew and everything is all together just makes it an extension of my job.
1: <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. Well, your cakes are beautiful and Thank very you. unique. How do, you, how do you plan the designs for them?
2: I, man, I used to. It's so funny when you, like, and I think Amanda probably feels the same way. <laughs> I... I think that you, in the very beginning, you look at like a lot of things, try to find inspiration in it. You like worry about having a style. Um, and it's something you like stress about a lot. And like I've been doing it for, I guess like three years now with the Calumary Marie Bakes stuff. And it's just gotten to a point where I, I don't necessarily seek out inspiration as much as I did before and maybe that's not a good thing but I don't know I just I will think about maybe what party it's for um I people don't like send me photos or like ask me to do certain things um at this point anymore which is really nice I get a lot of creative freedom which can be scary but it's kind of just like do whatever you want so I'm just like all right (laughs) well um I get I a lot of it comes from whatever flowers I have at the, like, market. Um, a lot of what I put on a cake ha- or, like, how I want to frost a cake has to do with what's available. Um, also with, like, what's inside it. So if it's just, like, a chocolate cake, then I'm like, oh, got to gotta, gotta kind of get creative here. Um, but, like, when there's a fruit involved, I think th- – I just like letting the ingredients speak for themselves, really. Um, and I've been trying to do that more often. Um, but I don't know. I think that once you have been doing it for a while, you just kind of figure out like what works and what doesn't for you. Um, and I've just gotten to that point where I figured out what works and I like doing it. I do want to shake it up sometimes. Amanda <laughs> makes me want to shake it up. But, uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: I want to know, this is a selfish, selfish question is, do you have any tips for cake drips? Um, it's something I've never done, but you do them so beautifully and I, Amanda does as well, but I know people love that technique. Mm-hmm. It's very popular. So what are your best tips?
2: Yeah. I, so there's two kinds of drip people. I think, uh, (laughs) I know that Amanda's heard me talk about this before. (laughs) Um, There is the kind of drip people that like put chocolate in a squeeze bottle. And I think Amanda, you do this. Um, And it's so nice where you put the chocolate in a squeeze bottle. You kind of go around the cake and drip where you want to drip. Um, And that's a more controlled drip. Um, I think that looks great. (laughs) <laughs> that's not me at all <laughs> I'm very like we're just gonna see where this chocolate goes today um but honestly so this is how this is how I do it I put I have this like one um liquid measuring cup I use like the same one I'm very like everything is um I'm like a creature of habit and I just grab a handful depending on the size of the cake, a small cake is one handful. A big cake is two handfuls of whatever chocolate. And there is, um, there's like a bottle of olive oil that's always sitting, that's always sitting on the counter at brew. I squeeze like a tablespoon of olive oil into said chocolate and I microwave it. You know, I'm like
0: dying right now, right?
2: That <laughs> I'm, I'm like being 100% honest with you. I microwave it for 30 seconds. I stir it. Microwave it for another 30 seconds. Stir it. Um, Make sure that everything is melted. Um, Normally, it doesn't get the full minute. It's probably somewhere around 45 seconds. Um, Stir it. I pull the cake straight out of the fridge. I think that part is really important. I pull the cake straight out of the fridge. um, Pour the hot chocolate right onto the cake. I let it set on the cake for a second. And then I just take a spoon and like make it go off the edge. So you just kind of like nudge
0: it here and there and then push it off. Okay. Wow. I'm going to try this because I like Mm -hmm. the more organic look of it. It's just when I've tried it, I think because I'm used to the more controlled drips when I, my ganache, cause I do more of like a Mm -hmm. ganache with heavy cream and chocolate and then It's, I think it's looser than probably the consistency of yours. And so then it just like floods down and then starts peeling off and it looks not pretty like yours. So Uh, I need to try like that.
2: Well, I used to do like a ganache and then some days it would be glossy and then some days it wouldn't. And that's probably just me like not being patient and like not tempering the chocolate correctly or what have you. But I, for like, me that method just happens to work really well it like hardens nicely it stays shiny um, I I don't know I just have gotten so used to doing that way and that's the way that works like I used to I mean and it was hard because I I end up only making enough for the cake which is nice I feel like when I did ganache before I always had so much left over and I was like oh this is such a waste of really nice chocolate um, but yeah I just some oil and some chocolate in the microwave. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to post a video. I, I don't know how to like do the cool videos like you. Yeah, that would be I awesome.
0: Sad. I'd love to see like so I could mimic your hand <laughs> movements. Um, do you do the same with the white drips too? Because that's the other thing. Anytime I do a white drip, it seems yeah. to be kind of translucent and snot-like, and yours yeah. is so opaque, yes. which I really like. Oh my gosh! So. <laughs>
2: I got that – so when I was making white chocolate ganache, it was too yeah. – it was very snot-like. <laughs> um, it did not. It was like, oh, 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 this doesn't look good. Um, and then, you know, they have, like, the candy white chocolate, and I just, like – which is the one that's, like, white. Um, I forget what the actual – like, candy shell. You know what I'm talking about? What, like, people dip cake balls in and stuff. <laughs> Um, they make that, which stays white when you melt it, but I don't like using that. Like we use really nice chocolate and I just want to, I want to stick with that stuff. I don't want to have to buy a separate thing for this thing. I'm also very like, I'm, I don't like buying one thing for one thing, thing, um, here at fruit. Like we use pretty much maybe like 20 ingredients for everything. Um, so I'm not going to buy like a, like a dyed, like white chocolate whatever. So that's how I started doing it with the oil to begin with was because my white chocolate ganache was so ugly. Um, and it's just the white chocolate that I do is just white chocolate okay. and oil. <clears throat> you use less oil, you use a lot less oil. Cause white chocolate is obviously more, it's a lot thinner than regular chocolate when you melt it. But, um, yeah, I, that's the whole thing. That's the whole reason I even started okay. not using heavy cream. I'm going to
0: try this because yeah, I just haven't found a good way. And yours always looks like a really nice opaque color. Um, I know I'm like getting on a cake tangent here, but I also wanted to know, mm-hmm. <laughs> good. I wanted to know about your go-to cake, chiffon cake. I think that's so unusual because it seems like, yeah. I mean, for myself and, and most I would say, especially in America, most bakers, if you're going to make a cake, you start off with like a creaming method type cake and yours, um, it seems like your go-to is chiffon cake. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's what it seems like.
2: Um, yeah. So that's the base cake I use for everything except for chocolate. Um, I made it in culinary school and it like turned out perfect the first time. And my, my, um, the chef at the time, she was like, whoa. <laughs> like shocked that it, I feel like it was supposed to be one of those things that you make in culinary school in which like they try to teach you some lesson on it, on like, this is why you should fold softer or something, but mine turned out perfect. And so there was no lesson to give me. Um, and I think it like made her mad, but <clears throat> I I was like, I really like this cake. <laughs> like it's like a mix between like angel food and a regular cake. Like it's somewhere in between. Um, and I, I just grew up on like, I mean, I live in the South. So everything is like super butter heavy, which don't get me wrong. I love butter. Um, but like everything has butter and there's weird cakes that have mayo in them. And I'm just like, I just want it to be simple. <laughs> um, so for me, schvon cake is simple. It's easy. It's, doesn't, it's not a lot of ingredients. Um, there's water in it. <laughs> like it's, I love it. Um, and it just always yields a good cake for me. It's maybe not. And I've learned over the years that it's probably not the best for tiered cakes because it's so soft, but once you work with it for a while, you figure out how to make it work for you. And, um, I don't know. I just like, I like it. It's my kind of cake.
1: <laughs> What's also cool is that it's an American recipe. Like it was invented here, even though it has such a fancy name, it's not a French cake it's an american cake so i love that you're using it yeah
2: i like i like it i feel like once you get it right the first time it's like oh okay this is not as hard as it seems like i do you
0: just use a lot of eggs yeah i feel like the (laughs) hardest part for me has always been i mean i think it depends on when you first make the cake in your cookbook it kind of in the little header it says something about like if you haven't mastered french meringue like you need to stop and go do that first So if you haven't done that, I think that could be like a really tricky part. But for me, the biggest – like it feels weird just because I make so many butter cakes is how fast you have to get it out of the pan so that it doesn't get weird in there.
2: Yeah, it gets like shrinky and strange. And so it's so funny because I watch like – I mean, I watch these shows where people put things on like drying racks and stuff, and I'm just like – what? I don't know. I don't do any of that. <laughs> I just like knock it out on the counter right when it comes out of the oven and let it, and I let it sit there. until. Well, the it works. Um,
0: I think it works really well. Cause, um, so I haven't told you this, but I just made your chiffon cake. I just made it like literally I made the cakes um, last night and then frosted it this morning. And the method was great because I have always with like a sponge cake or a, like I make a hot milk sponge and and that I always put on the cooling rack, but I think I'm going to try it your way of like putting it on the parchment and upside down. Cause then I didn't even have to trim yeah. the domes. Like they were perfectly flat. So
2: no, I never, I, I barely ever have to trim a cake, which I think
0: is really cool.
2: like if I, yeah, if I have to trim it, then I probably overfilled it. Um, and that works for me. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I haven't even made a butter cake in probably like three years. <laughs> I don't even know if I still can. I promise you can.
1: Um, of you okay. Can. Who would you most like to bake for, and what would you bake?
2: Oh, oh dear. Uh, do they have to be alive? Dead or alive?
0: I'm cool with that. Yeah.
2: I don't want to bake for a chef or a baker. I don't. That seems scary. I don't know. I'd like to like bake a cake for Obama. <laughs>
0: Oh,
2: I love that. I for, for, for the Obamas. I, I would like to bake a cake for them. I would love that. Oh my god, I would love that. I would die. <laughs> <laughs> if they if I got to bake a cake for the Obamas, I would I'd quit. I'd be like, all right, I've done everything that I can do in this life. So
0: what would you bake for them? Would you bake a cake? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, I would bake a cake for them.
2: I'm not, not sure not sure on the flavor. I don't know if they're chocolate or fruity people. But I would bake them a cake.
0: They have to go online and fill out your online yes. form and yes. let you know. No exceptions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no exceptions on the form. They definitely have to fill I out. love it. Okay. Well, I mean, I have so many more cake questions for you, but I feel like we should probably do that offline sometime or (laughs) I need to come down there and visit you, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and so many different experiences with baking that you have. Like it's just a really fun peek into your book and, and working at brew and then your cake business. So all very fun and interesting. And, um, I really appreciate it
2: thanks yeah that i am i'm glad you guys asked me to talk about
1: that stuff wow this was a blast thank you so much
0: all right and we'll see you around on instagram at callie marie bakes that's right right callie marie bakes yes yes all right callie bye
1: be sure to subscribe to flower hour on itunes or soundcloud and if you're enjoying your time with us leave us a review we'd appreciate it (laughs) you <laughs>